Hi, everyone. Thank you for joining in on the third episode of the Journey Podcast. I'm your host, Mashrur. And for today's episode, I'm joined by my good friend, Teresa. Teresa is a music teacher, a scientific scholar, if you will, and an overall interesting person. And I had the pleasure to sit down with her and have a long format conversation about how the skills that she learned through music translated onto her real life and also about different topics surrounding science, such as the coronavirus. So I think a lot of people will find this episode interesting. So without any further delay, please enjoy. Hey, Teresa, how's it going? Going okay, I guess. <laughs> Just stuck at home. How about you? Yeah been the same I think I think it's been the same for a lot of people but I just I just wanted to say uh congratulations on getting into your desired uh grad program you know that was that was amazing yeah thank you thanks for helping me actually feedback was really important it because at first I was thinking about going to you know like TC or something having like school resources to go to for advice but mm-hmm. given this sudden circumstance <laughs> both weren't really available at the moment so yeah, no, anytime. I think I think it really makes me happy because now that a lot of my friends have graduated, a lot of them are making big moves, you know, and it's exciting. It's so yeah. exciting. Uh, a buddy of mine got into like dental school. Another friend got into med school. Another friend, like you got into your, your grad program. And then like uh, yesterday I found out like two of my friends made it to PT and OT. So I was like super excited about that. It's all, all in all, it's just like really positive energy. You know, it, it inspires me. Yeah. I mean, I feel like at this time, you know, we're all, most of us, like the two of us have graduated. A lot of our friends have graduated with us. It's just amazing to see like all the different paths that people are taking at this time. And I don't know, I feel like in the early 20s, I see that everyone takes the most diverse paths during this time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think it has to do with a lot of like, obviously preferences and also like different pathways that people find appealing right like even at the end of it it's more schooling right for almost all of us that are going into these these different pathways like I have friends that 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 are going straight into work for example a lot of engineer friends that are going straight into work but I think other than that most people are hunkering down for like more education whether it be grad school med school PT school whatever like further education Mm -hmm. and that is like it's it's inspiring in the sense that like, you know that there's so much more to learn about this, about whatever topic that you're interested in, right? And whatever field mm-hmm. you're interested in. So it's really exciting to see other people pursue their path because, like, even if it's not the same path as you, it, it is over, it has an overall positive impact on your own education or career. Yeah, definitely. And also what's also pretty amazing to me is that I know some people who actually went to ventured off and started their own businesses mm-hmm. like small things like mostly in the beauty industry so eyelashes oh, yeah. like nails <laughs> stuff like that or even baking i have friends who really? started their own baking companies from their home so they would be in quarantine shipping their baked goods see that's ad- adaptation you know making them yeah <laughs> i respect the hustle definitely right i think this podcast for me has kind of been like a quarantine project right since since I have this time to you know I, I bought the equipment that I needed and mm-hmm. I've been wanting to do this for the past couple of years because I you know me I talk a lot <laughs> and sometimes oh, yeah. sometimes the things I say are useful most of the times it's not but when I do say some nice things I feel like if it gets recorded and it can if it can help someone else it's probably like you know the best use of uh use of use of my words right oh so, definitely yeah. I feel like if 
even when we were in school together during especially our last year and then mm -hmm. we just would just hang out and like talk for hours mm -hmm. those conversations were really interesting as well yeah so. i mean that was like a pretty like i guess it was like a more difficult time for you right you broke your ankle <laughs> oh. <laughs> during the winter term yeah that was yeah. a struggle and then we had the bus strike as well so oh yeah i remember that that <laughs> was crazy yeah that made it worse yeah. So much icy and it's snowing and you gotta walk because like, i know it's running. like the forces were against like everything was against us to try to have some sort of social life <laughs> right yeah if you think about it 2020 like just as like you know it was our like this winter semester 2020 was like our last semester right and yeah. everybody had like plans like oh we're gonna go out with a bang and we did <laughs> but <laughs> oh, not, yeah. <laughs> not uh -huh. the way that we planned to right and like Friends will still hit me up nowadays. Like last uh, last night, one of my buddies hit me up and he was like saying like, you know, it kind of sucks that we didn't get to talk at the end or like say our goodbyes. And I was like, yeah, man, it does suck because everything kind of happened like suddenly. No one was planning for this. I remember like you and I, we were talking about the coronavirus back in like, I think January. And we're like, yeah, you know, people are just blowing it out of proportion. <laughs> like, yeah, I mean... At that time, when you hear of some virus outbreak, all you can really do is what they recommended from the start, you know, like mm -hmm. keep your distance, wash your hands, like with any, even like influenza season, they, the common cold, they even do that, right? They recommend mm -hmm. people to stay at home right. if you're sick, to avoid, you know, infecting other people. But yeah, it's kind of crazy because you thought in past histories, it didn't come to, like it never really came to the point where borders were shut down, right? Right, 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 yeah. And that's what shocked people the most. And I think that's a very recent problem as well, right? Because now we have mobility, right? We're flying everywhere and you're traveling. And um, like because of that, the chances of a, a disease or an infection spreading is much higher than it was maybe like 100 years ago when people weren't traveling as fast. Uh, yeah. And um, so it kind of makes sense and like, you know, that they shut down borders. But yeah, it was like definitely something to wake up to. Like we haven't experienced this in our lifetimes at least, right? So, like, mm -hmm. having this in, in this year, you know, like, 2020, everybody was just like, new, new decade. <laughs> we're going to shoot it off. Nice. Honestly, people, were, people were probably thinking, new decade, new me, you know? <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> in a weird way, I think, like, it, it, it was almost, like, impending. Like, I think, like, we were on the verge of something, and it happened. It happened to be a pandemic. So, you know, in, in a way, like as science students, I think it is it is a little bit exciting because then, you know, it, it poses more challenges that, oh, yeah. you know, you can learn about. Yeah, I mean, it was kind of weirdly perfect timing for me because I was already in class, like studying virology, right? Right, right? And also like taking a class where I had to dissect papers like every week, mm -hmm. regarding like in immunology and having to see where the research was heading. And then the fact that now it's like plopped, we're in this time where people are scrambling to find, like to provide the research necessary to com combat this pandemic. Mm -hmm. It's kind of funny. Like all this information just started flying at me at once this term. Yeah, it's kind of crazy. And then like, I guess taking those courses really at least prepped you to the, to the like prepped you with the foundations of understanding the literature on, on uh, viruses and infectious diseases, right? Yeah. Yeah. And also it just had let us let me have some sort of schedule or a routine because mm -hmm. I still ha still talk to my friends in like my immunology class and weekly we still talk about stuff. 
like about the virus or, or just yeah like about like yeah about the science like what the scientific community is talking about in terms of like progression to finding like a vaccine or treatment options at the moment mm-hmm. so it's really interesting it's like i'm just happy to have those people who i can discuss with right right because if you try to discuss virology with me, I'd probably sound like a dummy because I know nothing about virology. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. It's not too bad. I feel like the best for me is when I try to explain to somebody who isn't in the field. Because mm-hmm. it's kind of like a challenge, you know? Like, can I may have somebody who isn't, you know, vastly knowledgeable in this field understand what's going on, you know? Right, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting too, I guess, now with... Uh, I know Waterloo was working on a vaccine yeah so i looked into it actually they're doing like a dna vaccine using phage therapy Mm -hmm. so um phage like phages are kind of like a specific type of natural occurring bacteria form Mm -hmm. that you can actually like shove like genetic information in Mm -hmm. so they designed like a dna vaccine that is supposedly just like a part of like COVID-19, mm-hmm. most people are emphasizing the spike protein because that's the way that they enter. And what people predict will not change over time, even if the virus mutates. And essentially, it's like a very specific, like precision medicine. So it will, this phage can be instructed to find viral cells, mm-hmm. insert, insert these, or like just find like infected cells or, and yeah, insert this genetic information in and creates that immune response signaling. Yeah, that's that's very fascinating. I think yeah. uh, the fact that you understand all that is pretty cool too. Because I would just like I was just nodding my head. <laughs> but, yeah, you definitely need more uh, more literature and more of a grounding in that field to understand yeah. it fully, right? Um, yeah. Yeah, but I think it was really cool that in our in our last year, I guess. Uh, that's when we started like hanging out more because we were in the same lab for uh, an anatomy course. And uh, <laughs> I just wanted to say thank you because I, 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 I always left my kid at home. <laughs> <laughs> and there were days where I left my, my lab coat at home or whatever, or like my goggles. Like I was just like super disorganized when it came to that lab. So I want okay. to thank you for uh, yeah, having my back, you know? Body, it was all teamwork, you know, trying to dissect that mouse in every different way. <laughs> <laughs> and then we were always like so scared. We always got like, I remember we got one that had like only one kidney. Was it? Was yeah. That yeah. No, yeah, it was yeah, one kidney. One that only had one kidney, right? And it was so small that we kept thinking like, okay, there's like this dark spot on one end but that's the spleen there's no Wait, way that's right, right. That's not the kidney. <laughs> <laughs> and we were so convinced we're like we're just like we're, what happened to this kidney <laughs> yeah <laughs> and i think like the ta had to come by and like check double check it because we we had no idea we, we always got like the fattest mice as well <laughs> like oh my gosh. i know no we always have special mice like right, i don't right. know how this happens it's purely by luck like the first day we had like an extremely fatty mice and then that's the the first one I believe we had to just expose the muscle tissue, right? So it yeah, actually yeah. mattered if it was fatty or not. Yeah, yeah, because because like we're going more like you know deeper because fat is superficial, and as, as you're cutting down the fat, I remember you'd be like <laughs> you're kind of stressed out because I was just like I was hacking it, <laughs> I was going down to the skin, right? I like you know taking the skin off or whatever, oh. going down to the muscle, and you're like, are you sure? <laughs> are you sure? <laughs> yeah. And I was like, damn. <laughs> we got yeah i felt like so, you know one little sniff and we're, it's gonna be 
over for us. Yeah, know? I mean, that's how it was, though, right? Because like, they, they didn't mark us on dissections. But I think our teas were nice enough to, like, help us out. And Yeah. Know, like, I had a lot of fun during that lab, even though yeah. it was, like, two, two hours or whatever. But it just flew by because, like... Yeah. You know? Waterloo always, like, sets three-hour time slots for labs. But mm. a lot of the labs don't need that. Right. And you probably have done a lot of labs. Like I've only done before prior to the anatomy one, I only did like one other lab or two other labs, maybe so a couple of kin labs earlier on in my yeah. undergrad career. But then after that, like I think the science courses that I took didn't have like a lab component. Or even if they did have one, I wasn't like I didn't take it, I guess. <laughs> yeah, for science, especially most science programs, we are required to take a lot of labs. Mm-hmm. I lost count. <laughs> At I, least eight, I would believe. At least no, eight. that's that is a lot of love. I, I I always I always felt like uh the science program, or at least the kids that are in science, like it seemed like, especially with the science society and whatnot, it seemed like a very like tightly knitted community, of uh of like you know kids that were just like you know in the same program or faculty. How what do you think about that? Um, I feel like. It's definitely not as cutthroat as other faculty, the reputation of other faculties. Mm-hmm. But I feel like in the science community, if you actually made a small effort to get to know people in the science community, it was so easy to network, mm-hmm. especially within your program or even just like visiting the science, like the club hallway once, and you'll meet so many people. But there are a lot, there's some people who, don't choose to do that and they feel as a result feel so isolated because the people who made that effort are so tight-knit mm-hmm. so there's always been that controversy of like oh it's becoming clicky yeah where i mean like there's been talk about the science community becoming too clicky and then the people who try to like be involved or don't feel comfortable which is upsetting but right right yeah yeah, as a faculty as a whole, like me personally, I love the science community. Yeah, you're really involved in, in yeah. it. I find that I really admire that because uh, you are like mentoring younger kids, right? In, in that are in science that are transitioning into university. Yeah, and that's a very powerful I, thing to do. I still keep in touch with them, like the people that I still like I've seen since before they came in as incoming first year students are now mm. I think third year students. And I still talk to them. That's like, really nice. nice to see yeah. their growth. It's beautiful to see like everyone's growth, you know, throughout undergrad. Because everyone has such unique stories and unique experiences. Right. Like, you know, my story, I've, I've told it before on this podcast too. Like I, I was like not, I was not a, a good student, I guess, in my first yeah. year. So just because I didn't know how to prioritize uh, what was important. I just gave, caved into like, you know, instant gratification throughout that, that first year. You know, it's difficult, you know, when you're 17, you move out of your, house, your parents' house and then you have all this freedom and, you know, you're partaking, like you're in this university setting and it's very new, very exciting. It's a novel experience. And I, I think it can, it can go, if you're not structured, it could go really wrong. And I think it did go really wrong for me. I remember like I, I um, failed four out of my seven midterms in my first year. And mm-hmm. that was like a rough patch. <laughs> you know? I mean, like- I wouldn't have guessed, you know, especially when we were studying for anatomy together. Yeah, but that was when I, I was 21, right? I know, but it shows yeah. your growth, right? It shows that you actually learned that you can study. 
Yeah, I think the <laughs> you one actually thing... <laughs> have potential there. <laughs> Finally, figured, it took me like three years to figure that out. No, I think like for me, it took me a while to figure out how to study and how to like mm-hmm. take care of myself at the same time and like juggle everything because you know with with freedom comes responsibility and if you don't know how to uh can use that or if you're not yeah. you know adapting to that situation you're gonna pay for it and i i clearly did i looked at my <laughs> transcript the other day in the first semester it said uh academic standing in <laughs> it, it, at risk of withdrawal or something like that oh my god wow <laughs> come a long way it's yeah, so it's interesting hearing it like your story because my story's like the complete opposite yeah you know we all know you're a nerd okay okay <laughs> no, i'm just joking you're okay. like i i really i wish i had that i wish i had that kind of like uh schedule like rigor and also like i like i i really really appreciate how organized you are as a student at least right like in your life at least from what i've seen yeah it i mean i feel like at this point it just comes so natural to me i'd just be plopped into like a weird environment and be like okay how do i survive mm-hmm. and that's really my mentality and then i remember looking back at undergrad and realizing how i i thought like i came into undergrad thinking i'd have th- those issues that you had mm-hmm. where you know the new environment is gonna be hard to adjust and i accepted that and i was like prepared to embrace the fact the idea that i won't be the smartest kid in the class anymore right and my grades are not gonna be as good as they ever were be they were before right but i i was overall like i had some bumps along the road don't get me wrong i'm not not miss like 100 percent perfection out here but i i like looking back like i felt like i didn't struggle as much as i thought i would i guess it came from me like uh, second guessing myself undermining myself that's like my biggest vice but (laughs) yeah i think like that that could be something that you know and i've seen you i've seen you like battle that but i've also seen you overcome that as well where like you know like before we were uh as we were talking about your interview for the for the grad school Mm-hmm. um you know i was like hey like you should talk about this and you should talk about that because you have to like you know you actually did it you know you 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 have all these accomplishments but you're like scared to even like uh you know talk about yourself in that manner and i think like you know that's something you've worked you, i've seen you work on it and i've seen you get better at it and that's like that's yeah. really like inspiring as well because a lot of us we have trouble uh like in a crude way advertising ourselves i guess to the world because it's it's a yeah. very vulnerable thing to do right mm-hmm yeah, that's how I feel. Like, I guess I was the type of person that never wanted to gloat about anything. Mm-hmm. I never walked around with a head up high going, wow, look at me. I'm like better than you. <laughs> right. But I just always did silently well. And if anything, I was mad when people would try would try to compare themselves to me too much, like in mm-hmm. front of my face, which I understand like they it's a way for them to reach their goal and better themselves but it was but it's so coming from like a very like toxic place because you never you guys you know like I, I talked about this uh with my friend Armin the other day I was saying um you know no two people are in the same circumstances right so mm-hmm. it like for you to compare yourself to another student like that that is like that pre-med cutthroat behavior that we see a yeah. lot of you know and that's like really it doesn't really help uh anybody right like even when we were studying right i wasn't like hey yeah. like you know i got this much or whatever i would be like oh i struggled in this section you know and like we worked on it together to like get better yeah. and at the end of the day we both did you know extremely well in that course mm-hmm. right considering everything that went on you know and like the amount of the amount of uh studying that we did on those different topics right and so like 
for me, that's like a success story, right? Because mm-hmm. you helped, you aimed upward and I aimed upward and like we kind of helped each other uh, mm-hmm. in that course, right? Yeah. But there are relationships or like at least apparent relationships at, that I've noticed at the university where people are very, oh, what did you get on this thing? And what did you get on that thing? <laughs> you know? Yeah. I know. I was just going to ask if you've account- encountered it because I've, for me, it's the second I see that because I was so sick and tired growing up with it. And mm-hmm. thank gosh, university is a lot more free in choosing who you want to be associated with. Right. For the most part in undergrad when there's like hundreds of students in your class. Mm-hmm. I just instantly like distance myself for those people because I can't handle that environment. Yeah, that environment can get really, uh, really toxic. Like I, I know sometimes, I guess people think that you know, if they know where everyone else is, they can, mm-hmm. they can climb up or whatever. But yeah. the reality of the matter is it never really mattered and never does matter, you know, yeah. like where someone else is or where you are. Like, just like compare yourself to who you were yesterday instead of exactly. like someone else today, right? So yeah. that like... Yeah. Just the whole idea of just being overall competitive with people in your class is just weird to me. Mm-hmm. Just because at the end of the day on your transcript, it's not going to say, oh, you beat... <laughs> in this course like i, I don't Can you imagine like in transcript, it has a bunch <laughs> of student numbers like, oh my gosh that would be so weird good job on your good job on your success you know you did better then <laughs> and then like the list of people <laughs> i know right so that's why i find it such a weird goal to have and then some people take it so far when they're so competitive and would try to purposely sabotage other people i know? think it happens a lot for uh people yeah and you know like it, it is obviously difficult to get into these like post uh you know undergrad grad programs i guess right because there's so many mm-hmm. people applying to them like these professional schools and these medical schools or whatever yeah. so i understand the need to excel and be keen about what you're learning mm-hmm. but at the same time if your mindset is like you know i'm going to i'm gonna like rise up and everyone else is gonna fall like that is a very um toxic mindset to have because you you are assuming that there's only so much right so that if if you win if you if they win then you lose right but reality is not like that you can all win you know individually while still getting better and then as as like the network of people that you're surrounded by as they get better you also get better you know just by being around them definitely and then i've always heard well i've always encountered sometimes as you may know like still study groups Mm -hmm. and like great use like great way to try to study and help each other right but you know it's easy like once you're in a really massive study group it's really easy to tell the people who are genuinely trying to work together mm-hmm. as a unit to like do well in a course then and then there's like the people who are leeches trying to do as little work as possible and we've been but, in contact with a lot of those people in <laughs> <yeah>. careers oh <laughs> uh, yeah, no, it's 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 difficult to like like get into that kind of growth mindset because I guess like a lot of a lot of these things have to do with culture as well, right? Like if mm-hmm. you're from a very young age, if you're told to be the best at whatever, like school, for example, right? And your your parents are comparing you to other like neighborhood kids, you know? Like mm-hmm. my my mom was constantly doing that. Like oh yeah, my parents do that all the time. Like look at so and so's son. He's oh. so you know, and in the South Asian community, in the Asian community, I think it's very Still, it's to this common, day, is very transparent. You know? <laughs> it's a very common parenting technique right, to try right. to demean your kid for yeah. help to 
some get angry at you enough to be like, okay, let me do better than this person. Right. So you can't say anything the next time. Like I think every time my mom, any of my mom's friends' kids get into med school, I get like a text or like a, a, a like she'll come up to me and she'll be like, hey, guess what? Like who so and so son just got made it to med school. I'm like, congratulations, like, you know, like, <laughs> hey, that's amazing, that's great news, yeah. but, like, you know, but then, then, then that conversation will lead to, like, what my lackings are in my academic field or whatever, right, and I'm like, okay, you know, <laughs> like, thank you, <laughs> thank you for like, I mean, maybe it's coming from, a, 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 like, a point of love, you know, maybe, mm-hmm. obviously, they want you to succeed, but, like, that action doesn't really help out the mental health of the person that's trying to excel, because exactly. it's added pressure. Yeah, I saw that at a really young age from both sides, like being that person that hmm. parents would say, you should be like her, like Teresa. Oh, and right, right. Also, so you're, you're that kid. <laughs> I was both sides. Like I was both, uh, you should, yeah, like you, the role model or the, my mom just say, oh, look at this person. This person is doing a lot better at you in this sec- insert activity. So then- right. Yeah, so what was made it really easy for everyone to compare was I have a cousin that's the same age as me. We're only three months apart. Right. And growing up, always compared because we're the same age. But I'm younger than her, but everyone thinks I'm, like, my mentality, people say, is seems like I'm the older cousin because I always stuck up for her. So the moment I would, when I was a kid, I would hear people compare, I would flat out just ask them like oh why are you doing that like you don't need to compare us we all have like different traits and stuff ever since i was a kid i recognized this mm-hmm. and then obviously i would get called out for talking back quote unquote i guess yeah yeah that's, like, that. <laughs> <laughs> that's just the culture of it it's, it's kind of like that i also wanted to talk to you a little bit about uh you know you're you, you you're a piano teacher and you mm-hmm. play a lot of piano and i've been i i kind of like you know I, I really admire that because i guess it takes a lot of resist resilience to like be uh where you are right you've been playing teaching for like 10 years or something 11 11 years well wow. i played competitively for 11 years so since i was six and then i stopped when i was 17 that's crazy and yeah. did you think that was like was that something that you wanted to do or was that something like that was influenced by your parents so surprisingly i actually did want to do it so it wasn't one of those where my parents were looking for a musical instrument for me to play and force me to play right they when i the story goes when i was three i visited my like family friends in texas mm-hmm. and apparently they had a grand piano and i was three and i apparently was glued to this piano like practically the whole trip right except for when we went out of course but when i was at home i would just slam the keys like no tomorrow right and that's when my mom realized that oh maybe she's just really interested in this and then put me in classes when I was six and I never stopped since so oh, that's amazing because yeah. uh yeah a lot I think a lot of parents like it's like a fine line between like forcing your kids to do something and something that they want to do then you enable them in that in that field or in that oh, yeah. art that they want to do but it is it's like kind of crazy that a lot of these parents that I know at least are like I mean it makes sense for parents to want the best for their children and they mm-hmm. they try to find like outlets through which kids can like kind of express themselves right and you had music for that, and that, that that's pretty amazing that you know you had that kind of resilience and a lot of your a lot of your at least from what I'm observing, a lot of your skill sets are around surrounding like leadership like leading like you know you're as a piano teacher or as like a mentor that you spoke about before mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, it was my first high school job 
it's just because I was so, I mean, my piano teacher was also the manager of the piano studio. So she just approached me and asked if I wanted a job to mm -hmm. assist like students one-on-one -on -one or when they missed their regular class. And I was like, yeah, sure, why not? And I did that for two years. Mm -hmm. So not your typical first job, <laughs> clearly. Right, right. Um, yeah, definitely. It not only helped me explain things better, but also helped myself realize small things in my own music. Even if I was teaching a little five-year-old <laughs> with the simplest things. Because sometimes when you go so complex in like your music, Mm -hmm. uh, you kind of for, you lose sight of the ba the foundation right the basics right sometimes it takes you have to take that step back and realize oh this is why i'm not playing this as well as i want to right because like you're not you kind of have tunnel vision i guess in that sense right like when you're when you're just in that spot and then mm -hmm. when you take a step back you're more introspective you understand more of like what was going on you know and you see it from a different perspective and then you excel further yeah that's why it's so helpful just getting feedback a lot when you like when playing such because especially like an issue I always had as a kid was just not realizing I would slowly progressively get faster and faster and fast like play faster in the mm -hmm. song and it's something that my ear won't catch because I'm just playing you're in the moment yeah you're in the moment yeah. you don't really you can't really reflect that until unless one you record yourself and play it back or two somebody's here like listening and then tells you right so it's it's a process it's definitely a process that it back then was really hard to do if i was by myself mm -hmm. so that's why i'm kind of amazed about how people are able to self-teach themselves through youtube videos and stuff oh that's like me. online resources <laughs> yeah like you yeah. because i personally like i was trained so opposite from that that it's, it's like i can't wrap my mind around that and I yeah, think yeah. I think for me it was just like, um, like I think for me it was just like preferences and like interests that lined up. And then my parents never really, I guess maybe it had to do with like just like the resources that they had at the time was not enough for me to like uh, learn these skills. But mm -hmm. you know, with the internet and you know the power of the internet, I learned. I realized from a very young age that it's a very powerful tool if I want to use it to learn and teach myself and become something uh, of myself, right? Mm -hmm. and um so that's when i picked up the i had a keyboard lying around and i picked it up and the first song i learned on it was like a jonas brothers uh burning up <laughs> song and my entire like i guess when i was young i, I picked it up because i thought it helped me get girls and i was like very <laughs> <laughs> i thought that's that's what cool kids do you know they, they play the keyboard and <laughs> and uh you know i guess it was just a start and then afterwards i started doing it for myself and then i realized how much just like any other activity in life it 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 garnered me to actively try to become better you know learn harder and harder songs and that those skills translated over to playing guitar and then playing ukulele and all mm -hmm. these things together kind of like like it's like it harmonized itself you know yeah so like yeah for me that's how i learned but like for you it was like more i wish my parents put me in lessons <laughs> like when uh. i when i look at the skill difference in skill like i'm like okay yeah <laughs> lessons are the way to go <laughs> <laughs> It's a lot of time. Right. And I was just really fortunate not only just to be in a, like a piano studio with a great piano teacher that taught me a lot, mm -hmm. but I still, till this day, talk to my classmates right. from the piano studio. We still have a group chat running. We still talk like once a month. 
mm-hmm. catch up. We just built this whole community just playing together, especially in during piano competitions together. That's a whole other Those bonds are like really special because, you know, to have that kind of growth, like, you know, when you start playing piano, you're really like, just like anything else, you're really bad at it, right? And then oh, yeah. it, it takes like an ego death to realize, oh, I'm really bad. So that means I need to get better. I think it's easier when you start as a kid because you don't you're not too self-critical of yourself it's just like more in the moment if the teacher tells me to do it I will do it (laughs) so I think that's like one benefit like I've learned as a kid I would I would just do it you know just go and just my parents were just lucky that I liked to practice by myself so I was never that child that my parents had that parents had the force to like hone in their skill I just really liked it and yeah over time that's just helped me be where I am sometimes push ends up making me push myself too hard I told Mm -hmm. you about the fact that like I played an exam with a broken wrist so yeah that was a crazy (laughs) crazy thing that you did there um like that 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 that's just like some championship mindset type you know and that's like extremely uh inspiring and it's like wow like I think about it sometimes. I think about like the resilience people exert on, you know, or like express throughout their lives. And it's, it's truly, truly incredible. Um, yeah. So did you feel like your uh, piano practicing or like, you know, getting into piano at, at, at a young age and then practicing it over and over again to perfect these like difficult pieces, right? It's not easy to play. Do you think that kind of translated onto your work ethic of uh, when you're in school? Yeah, definitely. I mean, Starting at a young age and getting thrown with a bunch of piano pieces that I have no idea how to play at first and only being given, I think, around six, seven-ish months to perfect them for competitions or the exams Mm -hmm. took a lot of work. And at first, it just started off with my piano teacher going, okay, so next week, no up to this, like this point with just like separate hands and then it'll work work on it with both hands and it'll upgrade to like moving on to one sec another section and depending on the piece of course but then over time just seeing that really like really helped me not only later in my studies with being able to plan out how I want to um attack I guess you can say um a difficult piece on my own but also in school where I like figuring out how to juggle homework and then later on going to work as well and then extracurriculars juggling my life mm-hmm. and just within academics and outside of academics it helped me plan out my life yeah so know? it's kind of like a like it is a translatable skill right like i, I always talk about how music has yeah. the power to like you know whenever i'm feeling down or something or whenever i feel like i'm not getting academic workout like you know like i'm not mm-hmm. i'm like currently solving on this research project you know and yeah. whenever I feel like I can't, you know, sitting at the computer desk doing nothing isn't really adding to it. You know, you could be like, hey, I've been studying for eight hours, but have you really been studying for eight hours? You know, like, <laughs> or are you like surfing memes? You know, <laughs> so for me, like whenever I, I hit like a roadblock in my in my studies or whatever project that I'm working on, I always like I have my keyboard here, I have my, my guitar and like ukulele in my room. So whenever I feel like a little down, I'll go you know, work hard at a, at a piece for like an hour. And that, when I come back from that, it's almost like a refresh button and I can, yeah. I can come back and get straight to work, you know, and that kind of rigor and uh, resilience, I guess, uh, translates onto every other section of aspect of life, you know, 
which I find incredible. Yeah, it's cool. And then even thinking about this more, this is the weirdest thought I had upon reflecting on how piano actually impacted my life. I've realized that back in, do you know how back in second grade you learn how to type on a keyboard with like those games in the computer lab? Yeah, I don't know. If that was kind of torture. <laughs> you said, yeah. <laughs> but you know, like for me, looking back, by not even grade three, I was typing faster than the sixth graders. Like oh, typing know. really fast. And then at first I was just like, oh yeah, I'm just like good at typing. I was just really. Right, like, right, I, right. I yeah. like, but then looking back, and also, as I'm typing more in my laptop, I'm realizing that it's so similar to how I press keys on the piano. It's kind of like you're firing the same synapses and the same patterns that you'd play like when you're playing piano, because like that motor coordination with like your, you know, a sensor and motor yeah, coordination that you have. Like optimal wrist position, being able right, to like right. hold the shift key and type. And you probably have reach too, just because like your fingers can spread apart, you know, further yeah. than regular person. And it's just like a thing I thought a random thought I had a week ago and I was like oh wow <laughs> that, that's, that's so interesting it is that's so, <laughs> like it helps you out you know like you're you're fast at it you can get and like that that can actually make it or break it for a bunch of like in academia for example like if you do oh, a yeah. Casper test or something like computer based yeah test, right and you have to type fast definitely the online exams man mm. being able to type really fast helped me <laughs> right right yeah you, you, like the long answer portions Ooh. yeah i think that definitely help, helps with uh uh well, you know overall overall dexterity of your fingers you're just like moving around you're just like you know more more tactile with it and mm -hmm. yeah like i was always like thinking I, I was thinking about you know your experiences in music and uh like it is inspiring in the sense that you know at a, such a young age you were able to like instruct other people right mm -hmm. and like like for example you were ashish's teacher you know <laughs> oh god you have to bring that up <laughs> <laughs> you know i mean like you know he's he's a pretty he's pretty good at it so i mean like some credit goes I mean, to you i right? only heard him like for one half hour session just oh, because okay. he forgot he thought he had class mm -hmm. but this fool realized that he didn't have class that day. Right, so and I was just finishing. Right. And I was just finishing up my shift, but we had the same piano teacher. And so then my piano teacher looked at me and she said, Oh, you're do you mind staying an extra half hour? Cause I feel bad because he just showed up for no reason. And I was like, right, okay. right. <laughs> What a what a great blessing. <laughs> you know? Oh yeah. yeah. I mean I would I would still got paid for the extra half hour, so I was okay. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> you were thinking about the money. <laughs> <laughs> it's all that matters <laughs> right. yeah like i've i've always wanted to and maybe i will you know as an adult it's i know i know you tried to teach me like you sent me a book to like uh practice with right the adult mm -hmm. learning uh, piano yeah. learning book. i gave up like a couple days in <laughs> like, it told okay. me to like put my wrists in like hot water or something and like okay that's relax them or whatever that you really need <laughs> and I, was I like, mean hey, if anything, extra. That yeah that's kind of extra i mean the whole idea is that you your hands shouldn't be completely flat nor co too curled mm. like the perfect you know like it, it's it's pretty amazing with the, uh, an instrument that's so sensitive like the piano where like the slightest difference in touch can produce a you know different oh yeah your sound yeah definitely when i was a piano teacher that's definitely something i could point out because i would, would listen to people so often so you've really trained your ear then to, to yeah have that kind of skill. i mean 
Yeah, like one one important thing that I learned was mostly the idea of a lot of pieces are done in phrases, like they're written mm. in phrases. So they kind of like some composers in their mind are mimicking some sort of conversation or they're speak like literally trying to speak through the mm. music. That's beautiful. And beautiful. the best approach is to be able to evoke these emotions and what they're saying through playing the notes as if they're their voice intonations. So like, for example, when you hear like happier pieces, it's a lot chirpier, not mm. as kind of smooth, but not, you know, but some element of surprise, so some like staccato in there. And that's what is written or like usually in a major scale, like you can tell exactly what the mood is and then be able to fluctuate that way. And that's something that's not on the music score. So, you know, for example, like just how your ear is like takes in, you know, how people talk. Mm -hmm. It's pretty fluent, right. but it's really ugly if suddenly in mid-sentence someone's really loud with one word, for example. And it's the same thing in piano, where if you're in the middle of a phrase, for example, and you suddenly hit such a, a weirdly loud note that stands out too much, it's going, it's not pleasing to the ear. Right. For me, a lot of it was, uh, like, obviously no one taught me that. I wish someone did back in the day. <laughs> and uh, for me, a lot of it was just intuitive because, like, I would, like, I would understand from listening. Like, I, I never learned how to read music. I'm illiterate when it comes to, <laughs> when it comes to music. <laughs> and um, so, well, obviously, sight reading was out of question for me. And um, I think I, I did attempt at it maybe when I was in like grade eight or grade nine when I would just like write write it on the sheet sheet music like write write out the notes on, on the paper. Mm -hmm. But then after a while I realized like my biggest uh advantage that I had was like since I had no theoretical training or since I had no like formal training, mm -hmm. everything that I did is like like improvisations that I picked up by ear. So yeah. I would listen to pop songs and then I would slowly train my ear to like get to that key. And mm -hmm. playing both instruments, like the guitar and the piano at the same time, really helped me translate between, like, you know, I can, maybe, maybe I can pick it up better on that guitar sound, you know? And then mm -hmm. I know what the chords are and I know what the notes are. And then I just translate that onto, like, keyboard. So mm -hmm. that, that's what I've been doing now as well when I listen to, like, a Bollywood song that doesn't, you know, have, like, sheet music or whatever. Or, like, no one teaching yeah. you. And then I'm like, oh, like, I can kind of figure out what the chords are. And then once I get the chords right, which is, like, the bass, I can always use the, my right hand to, like, figure out, like, the, the lead or the vocal or whatever. Mm -hmm. So for me, that was, like, the approach. Yeah. I mean, that's a pretty good approach, especially for somebody who doesn't really look at sheet music at all. Because at or the end of the day, it's you're playing for an, an audience, mm -hmm. whether it just be yourself, a friend, or sharing it for your like on social media, you know? And at the end of the day, if it's very pleasing to the ear, then it, you've, you've accomplished what you wanted, you know? You at, at first, when I was like sharing things on social media, and like I had this idea from a very young age, I wanted to, I wanted to become a YouTuber musician. I was like following all these people oh, that wow. were covering music, you know? And I had like no tools. I had like a, a one of the Sony Handycam cameras or whatever that my dad had. And then I also had um, a really crappy... I still have it actually in Waterloo was what I used like last semester but it's a really crappy keyboard and a Radio Shack keyboard and that's mm -hmm. what I learned my that's where I like learned how to play I guess and um I would I have I, I probably <laughs> I probably unlisted these videos because they're so embarrassing but 
I would put like uh, I would record it on the the, the camera, and I like obviously didn't know how audio worked, you know. Mm-hmm. So you can hear the horrible like clacking noises of the. you're <laughs> pressing it down. I'm like offbeat. I I don't know how to use a sustain pedal, so like the sounds are kind of like meshing in together. Mm-hmm. It was just like it was just like really low quality but I, I, i'm glad that i recorded it because like from that young age because i thought i was fine in my head <laughs> i thought it was incredible you know yeah so i put it out i put it out on youtube it got like 70 views or something like that and a couple Aww. couple subscribers i have like eight subscribers now on the channel and, <laughs> and and basically like you know at least from that point of view what i learned from that is like i was never scared to show my music or show myself to the world because i know it comes with a certain level of vulnerability just like with like if you're sharing your work in oh yeah in terms of just like writing that comes with vulnerability so does playing music mm-hmm. and showing it to the world yeah definitely and i admit like i feel like that's something i definitely have an issue with like for myself like that's one of my obstacles from like during my times playing piano like as a kid when i found like in that case in the case of like when i was competing stuff like ignorance was bliss for me in terms of right I would just play for competition and exams, like as if I was just having fun, you know, I didn't have any ounce of pressure on me. I was like, yeah, I just like doing this. So might as well just do it. And then as I got older, there was so much pressure, like having to like perform, like do well in eight pieces in a three, like for three, a three day competition, Mm -hmm. like knowing over 50 pages worth of music. And then like just wanting to place because I just at that age I realized how much my parents invested in me and I didn't want to right, like, right, right right yeah. and then there's just that extra pressure of like oh my god I want to do well for myself I want to be like perfect See, that's incredible because like it it kind of like obviously it's a double-edged sword because you can have like like you like we discussed before like you can have a a mindset that is more self-critical like oh i have to be this this ideal that i'm aiming towards right and then when Mm -hmm. you don't reach that you're like very self-critical of like where you are but Mm -hmm. the other side of that is like you're actually you you know where you are you know where your mistakes are and you're aiming up you know and to have that at a very young age will say will predict like success right that's very conscientious (laughs) to have that kind of rigor yeah but then that's the reason why i like my parents would videotape every single piano performance. I'm pretty sure my dad has like half of them on those like those tapes, you know, like the put those up on YouTube. Tape. Oh my god, I don't. <laughs> I mean, there's some that's on the computer, like the more recent years. Right. But I don't know. It's one of those where I grew up being so embarrassed by it. But now I'm like obviously thankful because I have those memories. But it's come to a point where I could think you could give me any t- one of those tapes or any of the 11 years I competed and I can pinpoint exactly where I made mistakes wow that's and that's it's really so bad it's such a bad like thought process but definitely I was that but I guess like myself. in in a way you, you train yourself even further right I mean like yeah the negative impact that it has on your mental health is you know it, it shows from like you know if you if you from your perception right of like how you're perceiving your pieces and how you perceive other parts of your life as well right like if you are self-critical of yourself it will translate onward to other places but at the same time uh highly you know if you're highly conscientious and if you're working towards a goal sometimes that can i mean it could be too much it could be too orderly and then you become you get into this place where it's like very very um it it starts to slip away from you right 
mm-hmm. then there's places that you can if you don't do that then you become you're surrounded by more chaos right and that could be a really bad thing right imagine if you didn't practice as hard as you did and then you go up on stage and then you just like i don't know bomb the performance or something you know <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Right. So it's better to be, I guess, like more priv- like more more practice, more rigorous with with the practice. Because I guess, like at that young age, you didn't know you didn't know what you knew. Like, you know what I mean? Like you didn't know how this would affect the rest of your life, but it clearly had like a positive impact. You know? Yeah, definitely more so positive than negative. But I'm mm-hmm. glad that it was kind of perfect timing when I left to go study out in Waterloo because it came to a point where I was so exhausted. Like after eleven years, did I felt it feel like, like a chore? You know, yeah. Okay. It started to feel like oh, I'm just continuing to. It, it was. It felt like my whole body was in muscle memory right. rather than, you know, perfecting a piece to the point where it felt like muscle memory. It just felt like the whole idea of like working, like just working on harder pieces, and that whole idea of like adva- trying to advance myself in piano just became yeah it's just something that I wasn't aware of or enjoying at all I just felt numb and I felt like it yeah so that's why I left the studio and went to Waterloo didn't even play too much piano during undergrad either because I was still in that stuck in that mentality of if I go back I feel like it's another just a chore that I've done again like going through that process again you know like it became a very sour thing I'm guessing like where like you know if you if you're kind of it's kind of like if you listen to the same song 50 times right the 51st time that you're listening to it, you're like oh I'm kind of tired of this at this point right so I think it's mm-hmm. like it's good to have those kind of refreshing like you burnout is real in any task you know yeah. like so especially if you're if you're at it for 11 straight years it makes sense that you would feel some kind of like uh, like exhaustion I guess towards you know playing piano mm-hmm. even though like those skills but my, the main point that i'm trying to make i guess i'm going on this rant but <laughs> <laughs> the the those skills even though you took took yourself you know you took yourself away from piano and you know obviously you weren't applying those technical very technical skills onto like your real life but mm-hmm. a lot of these skills translated onwards to like whatever your next phase was which was you know undergrad university at the time and then you were able to mm-hmm. kind of perfect that as well as if it was like playing piano but it wasn't you know what i mean yeah for sure i mean like the whole idea of like okay here's my piece always now just transcends of like here's my goal and then Mm -hmm. like what like what how do i stagger my time to get to this goal without you know doing everything the night before right right spacing things out (laughs) yeah i mean i found like i was pretty proud of myself that obviously i think most people can agree that no matter how hard you stagger your time you're always doing a lot the bulk of the work the day before but my like i was pretty good at staggering it to the point where the day before would just be me finalizing a lot of details and whatever i was doing for school Mm -hmm. rather than oh no i need to write out like this whole lab report for instance for me like it took a long time to understand that because i <laughs> i've always been like the type of guy that um and i mean it's not it's not a good skill to gloat about but it like under pressure i tend to do better um because i like that i know what's better for me i know like i i am shortening my telomeres by <laughs> by <laughs> just like stressing myself out so much but i find that whenever you know, like I, I stressed out, stressed out, stressed out myself so much that you know my hairlines are receding, everything. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, like that 
that environment for me is really an environment that I can thrive in. It's kind of like positive stress. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, I, I look at it in the sense that how much, how much stress can I take, right? And, you know, there's certain times where, like, I, I curl up in a ball and I roll, you know, I'm in my bed. I cover myself with a blanket and I rock <laughs> back and forth. <laughs> most of the times it's not like that you know it'd be like that sometimes but most of the times it's like okay so it's like a challenge it's like playing a game almost right like you're given mm-hmm. a certain amount of time and like the closer you get to the date like I, I know like a lot of my assignments in third and fourth year I submitted them at like 11 59 like like at the last second that I could uh, just because I love that rush one of those. <laughs> you know <laughs> you're one of those I I'm that person when I see like the due date I do it by the night before oh so like that's a, probably the smarter thing to do <laughs> I'm one of those. so if it says yeah. like i don't know may 30th at eleven fifty i'm handing it in by may 29th yeah, to the listeners you know be more like Teresa. Be less like <laughs> <laughs> i don't know i just i'm the op- like i don't like you know testing my luck with the clock right, <laughs> so right, right. I like having that piece of mind knowing that I finished and I have a lot of time to do revisions if needed and then hand it in. For me, I think like I'm a, I'm a very uh, calm guy, I guess, in, in real life where like I have, I've never, I don't fight people, you know, I don't, I'm not very, I'm not overtly aggressive, you know, <laughs> so I need to get that rush in, you know, I need to get that adrenaline rush. I don't know how to drive. So like, I don't, yeah. I don't speak cars. <laughs> and the only way I can get that get that rush is like by submitting and I sound like a nerd but by submitting assignments like a minute before they're due you know because I feel yeah. like until that point I have so much control over it you know and then after that point it's like I have no control so yeah mm-hmm. I get that and then like I feel like I do this even with study when it comes to like study groups and stuff mm. so sometimes I'd be in study groups where the best method is to break down each section into parts initially and then come together and just present each part to each other. Very systematic. And in those cases, yeah, and in those cases, it sets a time, like a deadline, right? Because you're like, okay, my whole group is relying on me to know this part so then we all can succeed. Even though obviously we do individual studies on the side, but it's nice to have facilitated group discussions and bounce ideas off of each other right and i found that was also a good way to prevent study you know prevent not studying at the last minute i think like group studies are good and but i think for me especially in first and second year they were kind of like a trap because what happens is like if there's a concept that you don't understand like you said like individual study is important right I didn't understand that because I thought like, yeah, we're going to study as a group. And I thought for whatever reason, communally, it will come to me. Like a lot of my friends and I, we, I, I would actually think if I opened the textbook to the page I wasn't getting, you know, and took a break, I will at least like subconsciously be breathing in that knowledge. Uh, get the knowledge <laughs> through osmosis. <laughs> Like, oh man like I, I remember that like i would be in study groups and then i feel like none of us understood any of our components you know properly and then you, uh, can, you fall into the trap where like you're studying together and you think you understand it because a person explaining it understands it mm-hmm. so then you're like oh i don't have to go over this i, I oh, he, yeah. like you know, uh bob <laughs> talked about it at the meeting and uh I'm confident <laughs> you know like yeah i feel like it definitely takes the right of like the right group of people to make it work and also just like acknowledging again you know you do have to do that individualized study and then even like 
after doing like initial group studies, we'll still have like a group chat and ask questions, last minute questions to each other. If you know, once you go off on your own and review, right. sometimes right. questions pop up, right? And yeah. sometimes I realized that just asking a classmate was a lot faster than trying to Google it. <laughs> so, exactly, hundred percent. Uh, I mean, I so felt that, that like when we were studying for anatomy final and I, I studied with you and I studied with my other friend mm -hmm. and she helped me out a lot as well the day before I met up with you because I think we studied the day before the actual exam and uh, we were yeah. at Williams or whatever. And at least during that time, like, you know, final season, there's a lot of pressure that's going around. Everyone's in that stress mode, you know, everything, everyone's on edge. You know, you see people, they're letting go. No one's at the gym. <laughs> like, <laughs> well, life's rough at that point. Um, and, and, you know, it makes sense. It's a lot of stress to be a student in those situations, especially if you hype yourself up, you know. Every time I think about PAC, I still get PTSD because I think about, like, you know, <laughs> that large uh, gymnasium where we were writing the exams. But anyway, like, I felt like when I was studying with you, and this is, by, you know, this is my fourth year, so I was a well-versed student at this point, you know. I should have, at least I, I thought I was. And um, the way I studied with you was, like, you know, I would get something wrong occasionally, right? And you'd get something mm -hmm. wrong occasionally. And, like, it's good to catch each other's mistakes. Because mm -hmm. then you reinforce those ideas again. And then when it comes to the actual test, you're like, you're testing well, you know? Yeah. So that's like a very productive way to like study with the group, I think. Yeah. Also in general, just being around people who understand your stress mm -hmm. is kind of, it kind of alleviates a part of your stress because you of the idea of you're not alone, you know? Right, right. Yeah. Because it helps you realize that, you know, you have your stress over school, but you know, clearly, like, a lot of people are, and it's nice to see once in a while and help yourself realize that, because sometimes, sometimes when you're alone along a lot, you really think that your problems are just to yourself, and no one will right, understand, because right. you you're in such vision. a lonely space, right? Yeah. yeah, so it's nice to have that, too, like, some encouragement that, you know, we're all in this together, and we will succeed. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, like in science society, that's why I used to study there a lot because it was a great place for people to come in and just rant about their stresses and like classes and their personal life and stuff. And there's a whole bunch of us, even if it's a person that we barely know or I barely know, we can definitely relate to, you know? Yeah, I think that, that helps as well. Like it yeah. helps to like say, because there are times where I was stressed out and like uh, when we hung out and I do this with all my friends, you know, even if they don't want to hear about my problems, I, <laughs> I make them my therapy, right? I call them and I'll have like 40 minute convert an hour conversation, just like this, you know, this is like pretty much what a conversation that we would, you know, that we would have uh, mm -hmm. off, off, off the air would sound like, right? So mm -hmm. um, because of that, like, I feel like for me, I find so much uh, freedom in, and li like, I feel liberated when I do talk about my problems. Cause I, I feel like it's almost like a, a weight falling off your shoulders right and then you can move on with whatever issue you have like um taking that step back when you know just like if you have other people giving you feedback it kind of helps out you know because like you're, you're always in your head thinking about mm -hmm. you know, perceiving things the way you want to perceive it but maybe it's not the reality right so it's good to have other people yeah definitely it's communal it's communal uh communal <laughs> pressures yeah. communal <laughs> Did you find that when you're working in, like, you, you've worked in groups a lot, right? Like, I remember you're talking about your capstone project at the mm. end of your undergrad. And, uh, you know, now that you're graduated, you can speak freely about this. <laughs> <laughs> Did you find that working in bigger groups, like, was it, uh, what were the pros and cons of it? Like, was it difficult or was it, like, a challenge that you had to, like, take on? 
Um, it depends. I mean, I feel like, okay, so for my capstone project group, there was five of us. Mm-hmm. Um, and what, like overall that, that group, we worked really well, but it was mainly because I guess maybe it's the idea that we were in, all of us were in our last term or the fact that I was just with really good people, like really self-aware people Mm -hmm. where everyone just flat out in the first meeting knew exactly what they were good at, what they were not good at, what they were comfortable with um, taking on as a task in the group, as a role in the group and what they weren't comfortable with. And everyone was just very honest, which is something that I haven't seen throughout my whole undergrad when I was with groups. Yeah, I think no one. Yeah, so no one took on too much. No one slacked off and did too little. We all did roles that we were all comfortable with and knew we can do well. So that helped so much, just being able to air that out their first meeting. Right, right, right. And I feel like not many groups can do that. So I don't know if it was just luck or I I think I'll tell you about my like what I think in terms of like maybe by fourth year like I I realized this too like by my last semester of university the people that I that were in my fourth year classes or whatever were very like we were kind of like a tightly knitted community because there's not that many left you know not (laughs) that many of us left at that point uh, (laughs) you know everyone that's there has been through the grinder and now like we're all there to support each other it's almost like a happy family like you know everyone's there for each other and you kind of know the people at that point right because you've all gone through the same same struggles and like there's there's mutual respect that goes at you know you know you know like all the people that have been slacking off are gone by this point you know like (laughs) i mean you would hope so (laughs) right right i mean the the system does that for you right it doesn't like yeah it, it it is like you know like by that point everyone it did none of none of my experiences felt like a cutthroat experience it almost felt like it was like additive where like people were synergistically helping each other out like you know Mm -hmm. i I help you with this you'll help me with this it was reciprocal without the without the demands of it you know like it was just like it was just intentional from the beginning right Mm -hmm. and um i think i had an experience with the second year like on my in my 4a term which was in fall i had an experience with uh you've you've taken this course organizational psychology right where they're would they tell you to like they they randomly select people <laughs> they put eight people in yep. one group and yep. they come up with this like work work report or whatever like about the culture of a certain organization yeah and i remember i was the only fourth year in that in that uh in my group like, I was mm-hmm. they're all like second and third year kids and yeah. i could see myself in them and second and third year <laughs> when i really didn't care <laughs> about school yeah. as much and that kind of like made me sad because i was like i was putting in a lot of effort and i was pulling their weight but i had to like be empathetic because they're young they're kids like they don't know any better yeah i can relate especially well with smaller groups especially when i was when i switched majors halfway through my undergrad i had to take go back and take the lab component of some of the science courses i already taken Mm -hmm. so i would be a third slash fourth year in a first slash second year lab right my partner would always be you know a first or second year lab but it was yeah it was definitely a different dynamic because instead of having like more casual conversations it led more to uh oh so what how was your experience like what advice do you have for me that was like a power (laughs) difference like i I think yeah so it's just like me mentoring them a lot which is not bad i mean like the partner that i was i was stuck with were actually really nice and 
really studious people so right, right. that's amazing yeah. we're okay like it definitely worked out obviously yeah. but you can still feel that dynamics of the of the first second years trying to still find their way through undergrad right and then us being towards the end low just low-key not knowing where we would be <laughs> yeah. i mean like i mean like we've gone through it right like i had this one moment uh last fall in the gym maybe it was maybe it was a uh, last summer uh, last winter sorry i was at i was at cif and i i just saw this kid i mean i didn't know if he was a kid or not but he was in first year right and i saw him and mm-hmm. he was like doing an exercise wrong or whatever and i've i've injured myself doing that same exercise wrong right like i i know i've been through it right and i was like hey man like just a little bit of advice like you know and obviously it hurts some people's egos when you say that at the gym like hey leave me alone you know like don't yeah. talk to me but i i told him and like you know he took it very gracefully and then after that he told me he was like a first year and then I told him, oh, this is my last semester. And then I had this moment where this guy was, like, asking me for, like, advice and, like, what my experiences were like. And mm-hmm. I, I looked back and I was like, damn, I'm old. Like, in, in his eyes, I'm, like, five years older than him. Right? Like, <laughs> I know. It's weird because it's roughly the same amount of years we were in high school. But, damn. But the I growth just, is, like, way more in, in university than in high school, I think. Oh, yeah, definitely. The curve is to me steeper. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's good to have those like have mentors, I guess. Like I wish I wish when I was like in first and second year I had like a uh someone guiding me towards the light, you know. Like, <laughs> towards the light. What is this? Going to your death? <laughs> I, I, I had some real dark days there, you know. <laughs> you know? But- um in first year you didn't you weren't living in res right no i wasn't living in res i was i was uh i guess blessed enough to have family there that took care mm-hmm. of me and I'm, I'm very grateful for them to this day but i think a couple of my mental breakdowns in first year was just like self-imposed i think i think like it was because like i really didn't have a footing in the system and understanding how to study and when you don't get those results that you're kind of used to because I was, I was like one of the south asian you know brown kids getting top of the class whatever honor roll you know yeah. honor roll four years in a row kind of vibe and yeah. then like come to university come to waterloo of all these schools and like you know i've heard good things about the university didn't mm-hmm. know it was this difficult you know and maybe it wasn't like looking back it probably wasn't even that hard it was just like my study habits were down the drain mm-hmm. i was more involved in the social life you know yeah. as they say and I swear we met at parties for a majority of our undergrad until, <laughs> until the last year yes <laughs> <laughs> yeah, until, until we had a class together and I didn't I didn't even know you were in that class and then like I guess by chance you just had, ended up being in the, the same lab as me right and then you hit me up yeah. while we we're in classes oh, like, yeah. you know. I guess you weren't so familiar with labs but when you're in oh. upper year and the moment lab schedules are out I we all look at the class list to figure out who our lab partner can be oh so, right, right right you want you want so, the best one you know if you, so that's what i did so i was like the first day of class i believe i was going through the list of who was in my section and i saw your name and i was like oh shoot i should hit him up and ask her he has a lab partner before i, I, I know <laughs> <laughs> like honestly though that course for me was really cha- one of the most challenging courses i've done but like it brought on so much growth because like it is in a way the most aligned with medicine, right? Like understanding the human body and like understanding the structures of the body, right? Mm-hmm. So like since we had the physiology back now, background from previous courses that we've taken, it was really nice for me to have this kind of like, and I've done anatomy before, but like I said, back in first year, I was, 
uh, grade A idiot, you know, when it came to learning. <laughs> and I, <laughs> I didn't really learn anything. Sure. And uh, so coming to this as, as a mature student, I guess, like it, mm-hmm. it allowed me to kind of blossom. And I was, I was really grateful for like your, comp, your complimentary, like, uh, like studying as, as a studying partner or whatever, just because like we had, like doing the labs and stuff, it was fun. Like that time flew by really quickly. And then, you know, we were just like, Honestly, fun. it was half lab time, half hey. So what? How's your week going? Right, right. It, it was like a it was like a catch up time, you know. Yeah. Like that's the only time we hung out was in the lab. What <laughs> <I know. laughs> nerds? Yeah, just a we'll bunch of nerds, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but I had a lot of fun though, even though like it smelled horrible, the formaldehyde and everything. No, oh, hun- but, dude, uh, you have not done a chem lab then i smelled worse <laughs> okay i've never done a chem lab so i can't really speak to that i smelled worse i smelled the weirdest things and this is like <laughs> the story of everyone's life where you think that your bed is clean and you have like a clean lab coat right. and then you go home and you just see a random yellow stain and then uh, you're just dumped out of like where did this come from what did i touch <laughs> I, I think the worst thing i smelled was like uh in first year i had a cadaver lab for anatomy Oh yeah, that, that was a trip. I remember the first time seeing uh, uh, the human body, you know, <laughs> like that, and it was it was a shock. You know, you look at it, and you're like, what? Oh yeah, <laughs> like, I remember I, like I didn't eat beef for for like a week because I couldn't. Oh my god! Like, I couldn't look <laughs> at it. <laughs> the striations. If, if, you were, if you were to look at a cadaver now, would you be? I'd would be fine. Your, would you yeah. Be yeah. I think like right now I've I've seen enough things, <laughs> you know. Uh, oh my I've seen like I, I tried to like I'm like I was thinking the other day like I have to get if I want to go into medicine, I have to desensitize mm-hmm. myself to like the human body. This is all natural, right? Then like you have to be okay with it. So on Reddit, mm-hmm. there's like these subreddits that are like for medical students, and then you get to see all these certain like surgeries and stuff where they cut people yeah. open. And uh, I've been just like binging those just because like I know like I have to desensitize myself to it. Like I can't be weak, you That's know. True. I can't be hurling in the <laughs> in, in the war. Oh, did you know? Like my when I was a kid, my parents thought I would be a surgeon because I would watch because of your dexterity shows. from like. No, I would watch surgery shows and not be grossed out by it. Like I'd be so oh, wow. interested in it. You're a weird kid then. Yeah, <laughs> like I don't know. I just remember as a kid just seeing it. I think it's called Skin Deep or something. When they did like a whole mm. bunch of like procedures. Right. And yeah just guts blood everywhere and i was like yeah this is cool <laughs> and my parents legit thought i would be a surgeon because of that but i think for me like blood like it was like pretty traumatizing from a young age but like as i've gotten you know older and stuff like that like that when i was 18 when i was in this in that cadaver lab that was like a huge wake-up call because i was like mm-hmm. oh this is real <laughs> you know like they brought, they brought someone's brain onto the table and i was like what True. is this you know like just and, chilling around you yeah know? And, and like they they super like they they normalize it because they're just completely spraying everything with formaldehyde all the time you know yeah. you get you get used to that smell and mm-hmm. then uh, you have to be very conscientious of all your habits because like if you have a pen for example there and you have gloves on right there's people that put their pens in their mouths right no. <laughs> right so if you're handling <laughs> the cadavers you don't want to yeah. do that so have you heard of the synth like syndavers like no. the, syn- the synthetic like, cadavers synthetic cadavers yeah so wow. there's this formal bioengineer who appeared on shark tank a couple of years ago mm-hmm. and created really good replicas 
like synthetic replicas of like human cadavers to use as a learning tool. All right. In schools and yeah, for practice. And it, they were freakishly very real looking. Like, I mean, like it helps with like medical students, right? Then like you don't have to wait mm -hmm. for cadavers to come in because some some schools, I've heard I've, I've heard about this on on the like I saw a couple of videos on YouTube that some of the schools are that are that don't have the resources. Like like Waterloo's very lucky to have, um, you know, the resources to to buy these cadavers or, or I guess they don't buy them. Like they get them donated to have mm -hmm. these like resources and they're very respectful of it. And I know like when I took anatomy back in first year, it was like really stingy because it was like an op optom. Like you had to like walk across and then it was like in the basement optometry and you know, optometry is like the old, the older building, right? Yeah. And it was like super creepy because like it was dark halls, like lights flickering. And then you walk into <laughs> this thing. It's a little like, looks like a morgue. You walk yeah. in, it's cold. And then like, there's like these bodies. Yeah. Um, but now I know like the facilities, like the applied health sciences faculty got a bunch of money to like revamp everything. And that's why like, I wanted to go to that lab uh, that uh, 301 offered and yeah. our, the, the third year anatomy offered. But like they said, if you took uh, the first 100 level anatomy, you can't do it anymore. So I just yeah. ended up not doing it. I was so upset I couldn't go because I had class during every single time. Oh, your schedule was so packed. I remember like, I, yeah, a lab uh, or like a class I would have. It's because I was squeezing, finishing all of my freaking um, labs, mm -hmm. my lab components that I had to finish to graduate. So my last term, I was out here doing four labs. <laughs> wow. Yeah, that's, that's pretty incredible. I did, I only did three labs maybe in my entire life. And um, they were, they were pretty, they're fun. They're a lot of fun. And I think like going back to like your your dexterity and like you're, you're very multifaceted like in the sense that you know you're playing this piano you're doing this mentorship stuff or you know and you're also very socially you know you're so you're, you're very social as well right so did you find that at any point balancing school social life uh you know extracurricular stuff that you're doing was that like too much or overwhelming i mean i feel like it definitely got overwhelming but i was just so used to it that it was it, it was kind of like my mind just naturally was like, okay, here's all the events, like all the things you have to do. And here's how you're going to structure your life. So you're not going to break down all the time. <laughs> <laughs> and like, just even like in high school, looking back in my grade 12 year, I still don't know how I did it. But basically, do you know how, how I explained it? I was kind of like all the clicks put together. So I was like the math Ooh, geek, like a nerd. the cheerleader, the oh. band geek. <laughs> the bat like I played badminton yeah so I played th so three extracurriculars so badminton cheerleading and cha chamber music then oh, I, I did also badminton had too yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> then I also had you know I took like AP classes and also worked as the piano teacher and I tutored math on the side and I did all That's of this a full schedule well. yeah, yeah so I guess like from a very young age you're exposed to like a lot like you know a lot of tasks that you can handle yeah, and looking back, I don't know how I did it, to be honest. I'm trying to like remember to that. what was my mindset, being able to tackle all these things at once. I think and maybe then, like, maybe that was it. Maybe you weren't like really in your head that much. You just kind of did it, you know, like it was like a yeah. very cyclical. You're just going through the emotions of it and you're doing it. And sometimes we need that. Sometimes like if you plan too much, you don't get much done, you know, like you get, actually have to like go out, you know, you can read a thousand books about how to ride a bicycle, but if you don't really go out and ride, ride a bicycle, you'll never learn, right? 
Yeah. So that's why it makes sense for, I guess like that kind of shows in your character now, like the person that you've become throughout those experiences It has shaped, you know, how well adapted you are to high stress situations. And that's why I think you're going to be very successful when you're moving forward to like your grad school career. Oh, thank you. Honestly, I really did not realize this, like how well I can adapt to things until I went to Japan. And I realized that I was not too culture shocked like I thought I would be like mis like mesmerized or homesick or you know but I just felt so comfortable especially like just after the first day I was like yeah cool that's another crazy thing too like you you traveled a lot last year right how many countries oh yeah not too much I think I've only been to so Japan Korea Vietnam bali and thailand so five nice nice so that's 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 crazy because i know that time it was like a lot of growth and you know you guys did you know your your education like you get you were like on a uh what's it called the exchange program yeah at in kyoto university or Mm -hmm. okay so because you guys you guys helped me out because the same year i think a month after you guys came back i went to japan with my friends and yeah during that time, I think I used your uh, itinerary that uh, she sent me. And mm-hmm. I, I used that, like, we used that to kind of plan our trip as well. So thank you. Thank you for that. <laughs> you know that. <laughs> yeah, no problem. I love writing itineraries. I don't know why they're fun. I mean, like, not because I try not to be too specific, but enough to be like, yeah, here's some ideas if you're completely lost and mm-hmm. what to do. And, like, I tailored, like, other itineraries for people while I was in Japan. And I pretty sure i will probably continue doing it just maybe make life. it a side business just like have <laughs> <laughs> here's some itineraries that i made you know uh, ready <laughs> a side business yeah. Yeah, maybe side hustle yeah get like um do you think you're gonna continue teaching piano in the future since you have so much like experience under your belt like i don't know to be hmm. honest i mean like i catch up with my friends my classmates and they teach piano privately around toronto mm-hmm and I don't know, part of me is just, like, it, it'll depend if I have time, but I am not opposed to it, definitely. Like, I teach my sister right now, so I still know I have. Right, right, right. So you have those skills. I still know I can teach. I mean, like in, in this day and age, you can probably set up, like, uh, a camera and, like, you know, in front of your piano and then, like, do, like, Zoom calls and, you know, teach kids over <laughs> Zoom. And I've seen that. I've seen that on, like, Facebook and stuff where, like, kids are still like learning piano from their teachers but just via the webcam rather than just really being there mm-hmm. yeah my friends have been doing that right now because they can't really go to the places that they've they right. teach so which i i understand is like a thing but uh i don't know because like the one benefit that my friends had was that they were consistently in the gta so they were able to build clientele around their neighborhoods mm-hmm Whereas for me, I was just always in and out of the city. So it would be harder for me to try to build up that clientele and that trust. And also, I'm like where I am right now, I'm not in the most, um, like, there's not that high of a demand for it in my area. Right, right, yeah. So there's like a lot of factors to consider, but I'm definitely not opposed to it. I mean, it could just be like something like that you you're passionate about and then you just like go out and change some lives as well you know in, in the process you know find a bunch <laughs> of young me's that are ready to like <laughs> learn and they can, learn. You can go ahead and teach them you know 
yeah yeah well yeah it's just like it's really fascinating because i think that you know, resilience is really something that people uh don't count as much because they they get so stuck up in the moment right like if you look back at your first year and you look back at where you are now like you're admitted to go to a you know the top university in in canada basically and for this program as well right mm-hmm. and um like putting your passions in you know make making them into reality that took work right and you did the work like the work was like kind of like the bridge that took you there right and you mm-hmm. did that rigorous practice and like that is that just shows how far resilience is it will take you just as a byproduct you know if you stick to your stick to your uh, routine if you stick to like the, the the things that that add value to your life at the end of it like you don't even have to worry about getting there at least that's what i tell myself because i'm on this journey <laughs> and yeah definitely i feel like the whole just like application process in general just made like forced me to really think deeply of what i wanted to do Mm-hmm. Because obviously that's our most, like, every grad school's most obvious question is, like, why do you want to pursue this, you know, what's yeah, your, yeah. your path? And obviously, like, I guess I was so wrapped up with, like, tasks that I had to finish at that time, such as, you know, finishing assignments and just being able to graduate with a good standing. Mm-hmm. That I didn't really thoroughly look into myself and reflect upon, like, all the qualities I possess that that I would be a good fit for in terms of a career and like finding a career that would, I would actually be happy in mm-hmm. and suits my interests. And it wasn't until like getting, having that pressure to write that in like in an application where I really had to think about it. I mean, that's then, a very difficult place to be, right? Like to like, why do I want to do this? Right? Cause you're, you, we get stuck up in like the motion of thing, right? The momentum catches mm-hmm. on. And then you have to like actually take time off and, and think about where yeah. you're headed, right? And why you're yeah, headed there. Definitely something you have to be super vulnerable with because it's so right. easy to say like, oh, okay, so I'm in science. So I definitely want to do something in science. I want and- to help people. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, it's so, it's so easy to just recognize the things that you are currently doing, you know, like right. the recent activities and trying to base an opinion on that. But it takes a lot of work to really go deep and what qualities do I really like in a job or right, right. In a career and what aspects do I know I do not, I'm not good at whatsoever or I'm not, you know, I'm not happy. I would not be happy with if I pursued this path. And it's like, I guess it's a constant thing because you should be asking yourself those questions on the daily because like the sooner you catch something that you don't enjoy, you can move away from that route and pick another another destination another journey right it doesn't have to be just whatever mm-hmm. you start like because because there's like i think it's called gambler's fallacy where like you know you feel like oh i put in so much time into this thing anyway like if you have like a for example if you're if you're in if you're working up to a job right that you really want to do and you spend eight years doing it but when when, when you start the job you realize you're miserable you know mm-hmm. in this job but then in your head you're thinking oh i already put in so much time into it right should I leave? Should I stay? Because like, it's like, oh, this much commitment has gone into it, right? I should probably yeah. just move on with it. But I think, in my opinion, I think it should be like, you should prioritize what you want over whatever the past has been, right? Mm-hmm. Because, or else you can get trapped into situations where, where you don't want to be. And then, you know, at the end of the day, the only commodity we have is time. And, you know, mm-hmm. the more... And that, that freaks me out a little bit now, more than ever, just because like... Uh, you know you can you can like you feel happy for your friends that are moving on but then like you know me like i i'm taking this year off to like figure things out kind of like you know uh see where i'm headed 
And mm-hmm. that to me is a very scary place because this is the most uncertainty I've ever felt in my life, you know? Mm-hmm. And I will see how things go, but so far I'm, 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 it's like both sides of the coin. Some days are good. Some days are bad. Some days I get really get in my head and I get into the comparison mindset. But mm-hmm. right now, like I'm recognizing that, you know what? I'm on my own journey. Everyone else is on their own journey. Let's just see what we can do here. You know, like the, yes, the world is on, on pause right now and it sucks, you know, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. Yeah. If anything, like being cooped up at home act- was an extra reinforcement to really reflect on what I wanted to do. Yes. Yes. So if anything, that's something you can take away from this. Like, yeah, that, that introspection. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I think like overall, We'll see. I, I, my, my hope is that everyone coming out of this comes out stronger and then we, you know, uh, together we can like look back at this time and then see what, the, how much we truly value our lives, you know, like mm-hmm. the, the different things that, you know, we went to a lot of coffee shops because it was so much fun to do so, right? Yeah. And now so, that's taken away. It's gone, <laughs> you know, like. So sad. But I really it's miss so that. Sad. Shout out to DVLB. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Honestly. Shout out so, to the spot. If you know, you know. <laughs> so, oh, no. I wonder if people will get that. <laughs> trust me. People listening to this will, will definitely get that. <laughs> so, oh, my God. Yeah. But, I mean, well, like, it's kind of, people are kind of hopeful that a vaccine will be approved by 2021. Mm-hmm. But it's just crazy how fast. like these clinical trials are going I don't know if you really kept up with this but at the moment there's like over 150 vaccine candidates around the world and then only has one mission right now right I know and there's so many different approaches so I was looking into some of them though there's one just like a I think yes just a couple days ago um there the first one that actually made there's made it through to phase two clinical trials is um a, a new type of a vaccine which is kind of crazy and they finished their phase one in only 63 days mm-hmm. their phase one clinical trials only took 63 days and then their phase two for reference usually takes around at least 15 months but they're planning to be done with phase two by the end of this year like by fall yeah i think they kind of have to expedite everything because it like it makes sense you know this is like the number one issue uh yeah it's just so scary because i mean it's like a new type of vaccine Mm -hmm. so it's the first of its kind so it's not a conventional vaccine but one benefit of this it's called an mrna vaccine Mm -hmm. and one benefit of it is that it's just this mrna transcript that's synthetic so you can reproduce it economically really fast if it it will just go translating in in the cell yeah, so the idea is that this mRNA is just of the spike protein. Mm-hmm. So once it enters the cell, then the cell will make translate it into the spike protein, and the cell, and then that cell will be shooting out virus spike protein, right. which makes it look like the cell is infected when it's not, therefore okay. building immunity. I see. I see. Wow. Damn. Yeah, yeah, so this is new because there's so there's so many complications with this. For instance, like the mRNA to stabilize the mRNA to do mm-hmm. this was an issue, um, the biggest issue actually. And then one company in the United States managed to pass stage one with it. So 
Yeah, it's kind of like it's 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 a little sketchy too the way the fa- the speed at which it's like progressing. Yeah, I yeah. looked into it a lot because I was really sketched out. Right. Because there's not enough because things are pass- going by so fast. As you know, for a paper mm-hmm. to be up takes a lot longer than sixty three days. Oh, I definitely um, know that. <laughs> yeah, and so then they so basically they released their phase one results through like a news release. So right. not there's no data, mostly just company statements. And what's very sketchy is that they they were test they use a test of forty five people, and there's it's broken down fifteen people in three separate age groups mm-hmm. ranging from eighteen to fifty five, but the thing that the only thing they really recorded or stated was they only tested eight out of the forty five people so far once this when this um news when it passed right and they saw that they had. Like those um, patients had an antibody titter that was higher than people who were recovering from COVID, like who were recovered from COVID. That didn't have the vaccine. Yeah, that didn't have the vaccine. So they used it as a baseline. Right. And for like, so a lot, there's some skepticism of, well, there's a, they only tested eight people and then decided to release, you know, the news that like, that their phase one was successful. So there's I a think lot of it's like, like a lot of uh, funding related. Like we, you and I, we both know that science isn't. It's it's, it's really political. Oh yeah, um, there's something yeah. else. So basically, um, this company was one of the one of the main companies that went to pitch to Trump, mm-hmm. and essentially all the other farm companies got denied because their timeline was too long. I see. So yeah. they bidded that they would finish all their cut all their clinical trials by the end of the year and that's why trump gave them all the money and what's ridiculous is that they this company sells zero products and because of the decision the stock valuation for their company is 29 billion dollars that's incredible wow what the heck that's insane that's insane that's kind of that's kind of crazy yeah like to have that kind of uh, evaluation, I guess it's, it's because of like the the deadline or like, you know, the timeline that they're proposing, right? Like kind of ridiculous mm-hmm. timeline in the sense of science, like for things to move that fast is not, not really sustainable, I guess, in most parts of science, yeah. right? So I guess right now they have everyone's on this one mission and you will have people that are anti-vaxxers or whatever that don't, you know, that mm-hmm. don't really, because like for me personally, I think that, you know, obviously I'm for science and, you know, it has helped eradicate so many diseases right like my dad was telling me the other day that when he was younger they had smallpox right Mm -hmm. where he was in in Bangladesh and uh you know now it's unheard of in that region because they eradicated it just to diligent uh like vaccinations you know everyone's house and just vaccinated every child right yeah anyone and so these people are like living longer now they have they're Mm -hmm. living the 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 amount of years that they're living uh disease-free is like much higher than it used to be you know what I mean? The yeah. percentage of years that they're living uh, disability or disease free. Mm-hmm. Um, and overall, the quality of health has gone up because of technology, right? And I think oh. I've, I've heard, you know, people are comparing the 1918 uh, Spanish flu mm-hmm. to this coronavirus, but I think it's not really a fair comparison, right? Like, yeah. it's like we, we have, like, the technologies that we have now are much superior than the ones that we had 100 and 102 mm-hmm. years ago right so like obviously some patterns are similar it it is Mm. it is something that's infectious right obviously and it has been yeah like you know things have been going at a pretty fast rate in that sense i think canada kind of like 
they they've done a good job so far i think um canada doing a good job at what research or uh, so flattening the curve you know slowing yeah. down the spread of the disease i think the government handing out money really helps uh, <laughs> oh yeah definitely yeah i think canada's been doing pretty well well, let's hope that continues, but we'll see. Mm-hmm. I think, I guess for me, like my biggest fear is that, you know, there were there wouldn't be enough precautions being placed when like, you know, F, like when the FDA approves a vaccine. Mm-hmm. And then as a result, like a whole bunch of people get like major adverse reactions. Like that's my biggest fear. So I hope that, you know, there's right. hope that people are not rushing the process for the sake of, rushing the process like yeah like giving some sort of the world some sort of peace you know yeah that would be like pretty like it wouldn't be a good trade-off i think because like what if the adverse effects of it are just much larger than what you know what if that kills or whatever like that does more damage than the virus itself we'll see you get into this ethical dilemma yeah i mean at the moment it doesn't seem like there's nothing too major with vaccines Mm -hmm. besides the fact that you might need like some of them might need some sort of like a boost and then a common like adverse reaction is when when you're making neutralizing antibodies Mm -hmm. but like from like whatever the vaccine but then there's this effect where your own antibodies gets registered as non-self oh yeah that can be be an attack So that's one like major concern, but we'll see. But what's really pleasing to hear is that a lot of there's a couple studies that are seeing how like T how memory T cells are um, being affected in with patients that recover from COVID. Mm-hmm. Uh, as a sign to see if you know if a vaccine were to be made, whether you know it would be successful in providing immunity to people for a long period of time. And it seems like the evidence is leaning towards yes, that a vaccine would probably provide patients with like people with a long-term immunity. So that's a good sign right now. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. I guess like you're very like in touch with these studies and that's really, I'm, I'm excited. Yeah, I'm happy that you came learning, on. Post-grad, post-undergrad. None of my friends, I don't, actually I shouldn't say none of them, but most of them are probably not aware of like, you know, uh, at least you understand it at a, at a different level. Even I don't understand it at that level. But, so it's pretty good to, I'm, I'm glad that you decided to come on and talk about this as well. Yeah, it's no problem. Yeah. I mean, like I like speaking about science. I think, I think and you're good at it, which is good. I think I think you should start your own podcast. You should do like a science, oh. <laughs> science only podcast. Nah, your podcast is too great. I can't, I can't no. mess that up. You know, I can't compete with you. It's a free market. You know, we can both win. <laughs> it doesn't have nah. to be one or the other. You know, but uh, yeah. So thank you for for being the first female guest on this podcast. I think we're skewing. I realized, like, as I was as, as I was doing this, um, I realized most of the people that I talked to are are males. <laughs> so <laughs> it's it was okay. good to switch it up a bit. Yeah, and thank you for like all the times you had my back in uh, in anatomy when I forgot my kit or whatever, <laughs> or I was just being lazy. Back at ya. And we uh, have <laughs> yeah, we had we we do good science together. <laughs> and it's always like fascinating to talk to you because you always enlighten me with uh these like things that i don't understand like virology and you know like they're super interesting but 
it's you it's hard to digest definitely <laughs> right right but i think the way you explain it i think even the listeners will agree like it it is easier to understand than like you know just reading one of these uh papers that are coming out right now so thank you so much for that and uh yeah i'll just talk to you off the air but thank you for doing definitely. this <laughs> thank you for having me <laughs> all right take care you too